0: In C.S. Lewis's classic children's book, The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, it's been winter in the land of Narnia for a hundred years. Always winter, but never Christmas. Something a little bit like pandemic time in that, I think. Always winter, but never Christmas. It will be Christmas soon enough. But in Narnia, something happens that begins to break the spell of the White Witch, an oppressive tyrant who has ruled the land for a hundred years. And as her power begins to fade, the children, who are the heroes of the story, hear sleigh bells. And they find themselves suddenly face to face with a bearded figure in a bright scarlet suit. And of course, his name is No, it's Father Christmas because this is a British book. So they meet Father Christmas and he gives the children gifts. And the gifts that he gives them are gifts meant to be used. They're not trinkets, they're not simple amusements. For Peter, a sword and shield. For Susan, a bow and arrows and a horn to be blown in time of great need. For Lucy, the youngest, a crystal bottle of healing potion. And Father Christmas says to them, these are tools, not toys. This Father Christmas comes not to bring distraction and not to bring false comfort, but to bring strength, strength for the battle ahead. Now today is the 6th of December And today is the second Sunday of Advent, but the 6th of December is the traditional date for the feast of St. Nicholas. And there was a real St. Nicholas. He was a bishop, a bishop of the church in the city of Myra, in what's today the country of Turkey. And he lived in the 300s AD, and his life spanned the time when Christians were still persecuted, and then the time when the faith was legalized. As a young man, he gave away his inheritance to the poor. As bishop, he went to prison for his Christian faith. And later he stood against the Arian heresy, a school of thought that denied the divinity of Christ. And he helped write the Nicene Creed that we still use in worship today and that we will say in a few minutes. Bishop Nicholas, and there were legends about him. One says that he helped a family of three poor girls avoid being sold into slavery by tossing in three bags of gold through the window. The bags landed in stockings or shoes drying by the fire and gave us the tradition of children putting out stockings or in many countries shoes to be filled with gifts, originally on St. Nicholas Day before the custom migrated to Christmas Eve. I've been in churches where they do that, where the people coming in leave their shoes in the entryway and go in for worship and come out to find them mysteriously full of golden chocolate coins. It didn't seem like a good idea to do that today in the grass, maybe next year. But it was a long and twisty path that led from that figure of St. Nicholas and the legends about him to the jolly old elf, the Coca-Cola drinking, toy factory overseeing, shopping mall, lap-sitting Santa Claus that we know today. And a lot of that development took place just in the last century or two here in the United States. But I'm not here to do battle with Santa Claus, he has a charm and a magic of his own. And he gave me a lot of joy as a child too. But I do think that in this long 2020 winter, I wonder if we need a little more than just candy canes and jolliness. And perhaps we need some of the spirit of the real St. Nicholas, that brave bishop who suffered for his faith and came out victorious. Or the spirit of the Father Christmas of Narnia, this noble, strong figure who gives gifts that are meant not to distract, but to equip. Today, in our Old Testament reading, the prophet brings a message to the people of God. And just like the inhabitants of Narnia, the people of Israel have been suffering under the oppressive rule of a tyrant. And the prophet says it is time for them to be set free. If you've ever heard a concert of Handel's Messiah, you've heard the ringing tenor notes at the beginning. Comfort ye. Comfort ye my people. Or you might know the Advent hymn. Comfort, comfort ye my people. Speak ye peace, thus says our God. And both those pieces of music are taken right from the opening words of this passage. Comfort ye my people. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and tell her that her warfare is over. Comfort. Think about that word comfort a minute. You can think of that word in two ways, I think. Comfort can mean something like pampering or luxury. We think of living in comfort as something that's perhaps available to some classes of people and not to others. We talk about being in our comfort zones. But that's not the kind of comfort that the prophet is talking about. There's another kind of comfort. It means strengthening, encouraging. That's what the word even originally means. Think about the word fortify or the word Fortress. To come fort someone is to make them strong. Today in the Gospel, we hear John the Baptist foretelling that Jesus will baptize the people with Holy Spirit, not just with water, but with the Spirit. There's a place elsewhere in the New Testament where the Holy Spirit is called the Comforter. In the Gospel of John, when Jesus is promising the disciples to send the Holy Spirit, after his resurrection. He calls the spirit a parakletos, and that's the exact same Greek word that gets translated as comfort in the Greek version of Isaiah. And so in some English translations, especially older ones like the King James, we do have Jesus promising to send his disciples a comforter. More modern translations tend to move away from that term Partly, I think, because it can sound like Jesus is offering his disciples a bedspread. But also because we use that word comfort so differently now. Jesus isn't just filling his disciples with the Holy Spirit to pat them on the hand and tell them they're there, things will be all right. He's filling them with the Holy Spirit to equip them to go out and set the world on fire. When I first became a parent and descended into the world of endless diapers and night wakings and crying and bottles to clean and gear to manage and baby on hip trying to open a car door and all the rest of it. I remember having a conversation with a friend who already had several children. Does it get easier? And what my friend said was, no, not really, but you get more used to it and you get better at it. You bring your game up over time so that what at first seemed almost impossible to manage seems easier. Now on child number two, I see the wisdom of that comment even as I still marvel at my fellow parents who manage three or more. But my friend that day was comforting me, not by giving me a false promise, but by giving me real hope. And I think God's comfort is something like that. It's not an assurance that the problems and the evils of this world are going to magically suddenly go away. It's a promise that God's grace is enough to empower us to do what we are called to do in easy times and hard, to endure and indeed to triumph. God created us not to be mediocre. God created us to come to the fullness of maturity. Each of you has been created to come to the fullness of wisdom, of courage, of kindness, of generosity. In one of his other books, a book on Christian faith for adults, C.S. Lewis wrote that if you or I could see what our most ordinary neighbor will look like in heaven, we would be tempted to fall down on our knees and worship. That is the destiny you were created for, and I was, and each of our neighbors. Not that any of us will get all the way there in this life, but God is in the business of making saints. And God is in the business of transforming the world through those saints. And God has that in mind for you and me. Not that it's up to us to do it on our own, but rather only to open ourselves to the power of that same spirit, the comforter, the strengthener, the one who's working inside us from the moment we are baptized and every moment that we turn towards God, working to transform us into the full person that each of us was created to be, more joyful, more brave, more persistent, more kind. We are here today to celebrate Eucharist, a rare treasure for us in this long pandemic winter. And one of the other Eucharistic prayers in our prayer book tells us that we come to this table, not for solace only, but also for strength. And indeed there is solace here at this table. If you are hurting today, if you're lonely, if you're tired, if you're afraid, the tenderness of God is here for you in this meal. Receive it. But God won't stop there. God is on the move in this world and no pandemic, no injustice, no loneliness, no poverty, no racism, nothing can stand in God's way. And God wants to work in part through you to win the fight. So in this meal, God has solace, but also power, strength for you in this food. This Eucharist is not a toy, but a tool. It's food meant to comfort you. Not just comfort food in the sense of nostalgia or empty calories, but comfort food that will make you strong and able to withstand whatever the world and the devil can throw at you. So come to the table and take comfort.